speaking of unbelievable, our next guest coming at us from um, South Australia, Matt Ryman. Good morning to you, Matt. Good morning. How are you? How's that for an intro, mate? Unbelievable. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've got Jordan uh, in here in the studio with me. So on the back of the fabulous award that uh, the Pastors Cabernet from Riddick just won. Uh, so let's kick off with that. What was the award, Matt? Yeah, so we um, went to some wine. We went to a lot of wine shows every year. Yep. And we get the European um, circuit on the go as well as Australia. And we entered to a wine show in London. And um, we won the best Australian Cabernet. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then we were awarded the best Cabernet from 20 countries. So wow. obviously 20, 21 countries all up. And we were deemed the best one. So that's a pretty good achievement for a little old business from Australia. It's not it's not too bad at all. But there is a bit of a track record coming out of the winery. We'll get to, to that in a little bit. But it's uh, the, the wine's called the Pastoralist 2021 Cabernet from Riddick. And so every day... I get like 10 people coming in and going, have you got any of the wine? I'm like, no, mate, they're all pre-sold. Um, so pretty pretty amazing. What sort of volume are we talking about with a wine like that, Matt? Uh, we, we estimated at about 30,000 bottles. Yeah. So it's so not... 20,000 it, litres. Yeah, it's not super massive. Um, and, and it was interesting because we did a little tasting on uh, Wednesday with uh, the, the wine merchants and... Some of the other wines that we tasted were pretty tiny little batch sort of stuff. And and one that really stuck out to me was the the author, Shiraz. Uh, I thought it was just bang for buck, like super good. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, about that wine too. Yeah, so that's a, a 2019 vintage Shiraz. Yeah. Uh, 4,500 litres we made of that one. It's a fairly small volume. Yeah. But that was sort of our best parcel of Kunawara Shiraz in that vintage. Yeah. Yeah. What is it about Coonawarra Shiraz? Everyone, everyone likes Cabernet. Everyone thinks about Cabernet, don't they? But there's some really lovely wines that come out of there that aren't Cabernet too. Yeah, it's interesting. Within Australia, Shiraz is by far the most popular red grape variety that we, we produce and consume Yeah, as a, as a country, I guess. Um, and I think it's just because of that bright, juicy fruit that characteristics that Shiraz gives those wines. But in the Coonawara, it's a little bit different. You know, Bryce is probably the king of Shiraz in Australia, without doubt. But, you know, we've got a cooler climate because of our, you know, we're within 100 kilometres of the ocean down there. Yeah, yeah. Um, fairly flat and low. Um, gets fairly low temperatures in winter and definitely a lot cooler in the evenings and summer. So we get some really lovely gentle ripening and that just lets us maintain our fruit flavours during ripening. And that lets us get those flavours at lower sugar level, which means lower alcohol in our products, so more elegance, a bit more finesse. Yeah, and and the Coonawarra wines for me in general, I know it's a massive generalisation, but they tend to be moorish because of that lovely natural mm. acidity and they make you want to drink another glass, uh, especially with a bit of age. Uh, I was lucky enough uh, last week, Matt, to try all of the Redmond Cabernets from 1970 to 2021 yeah. in a row. And it just, I was saying to Jordan off air, like one of the great things about it, you know, was some of the inadverted commas tougher vintages, you know, 83, 85, you know, 97, 2000, 2011, and obviously 2023 would be in that category. They were singing. They were great, you know. So I don't know yeah. what it is about about that, that particular grape from that particular spot. but Yeah, I think, I think it's all about how you manage your vineyards. If you don't get greedy and just have moderately lower levels of crop and good canopy management. It really lets those flavours of that region come to show that they get ripe and, yeah, they're no greeny capsicum, tomato leafy sort of notes and it's it's just joy in a bottle, really. 
Yeah, absolutely. G'day, Matt Jordan here. Um, I, you might be a little bit biased, but a question without notice for both of you. I find Coonawarra Reds, obviously in particular, probably the easiest to pick blind as a region, as in yeah. you know, this this red wine is, is clearly from Coonawarra. Do you think that there is any other region that's as easy to pick blind or, or as expressive rather than Coonawarra? I can't think oh. of one. No, it's a bit hard. I mean, that would be the biggest one by far. I think Great Western Victoria's got similar notes and a cooler climate. Um, some people reckon they can pick Barossas everywhere because they're completely opposite build and, and mouthfeel to Coonawarra, I guess. But, yeah, look, it's very distinctive, very spicy, um, and I, quite a, bit, a little bit of pepper sometimes in those cooler years. But it's just that region that's, you know, it's got the ability to come across to so many people because it's, the scale of that region is massive. It's um, it's really nice to work with those those regions because there's there's scalable volumes of good, really good grapes. Uh, yeah, and well, I mean, I think Margaret River Cabernet has a certain twang to it that you mm. can sort of pick. But I mean, the great thing about the 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 limestone coast is exactly that, right? So you've got this lovely limestone that sort of sits all across it, and that's not just in the Coonawarra. And the same with the red dirt, mm. Matt. Is that that's right? Isn't it? The Terra Rossa yeah, soil is well, not just. I mean, I know it's famous for that in that middle part, but it's in yeah, other places I've, too, right? I've spoken to a Coonawarra uh, Clare Valley grower actually, and he said there's more Terra Rossa soil by definition in Clare yeah. than what there is in the Coonawarra, yeah. particularly so. the Southern Watervale area. So there you go, and, and you know it's in other parts of Australia as well. It's just I always feel like when I have a glass of Coonawarra Cabernet and you don't know what it is, it's like a warm, familiar hug yeah. from someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a compliment though, isn't it? 100%. Really? Yeah, like it's it's a good thing. I mean, the French obviously, they, they, they would love that sort of thing. But in the end, um, there can be a, a sort of, I mean, Chester spoke about it in the last interview, Matt, there can be a sort of mintiness that comes through in the wines. Is yeah, that... look, you only got to drive in the Coonawarra from Adelaide or from Melbourne, and there are gum trees absolutely everywhere, and, that, and that's where that minty comes from. It's yeah. I sort of I sort of figure it's like how you smoke small goods to get that smoky flavour. Well, yeah. eucalyptus oil, particularly in warmer years, it, it vaporises out of gum leaves and just hovers over vineyards, and right. you, know, you might get some leaves that fall next to a bunch. And then when you ferment those red grapes on skins, that all those characteristics of the berry come into the wine, and and that's where you can get about. You know, we've had a good look at our, our Redot wines and our styles with Tim, my, my boss, yeah. um, with the Redot label. And we've sort of made a conscious effort that, that in the top-end wines, we, we don't want to see that mintiness dominate. Yeah. We'd like mm. to see it sort of quite hidden. But in the lower price points, I think it's good to be a friendly sort of characteristic that the consumers who start their wine journey at cheaper price points they can talk about something. They see minty and um, a little bit of yuki maybe, but it actually lists all the aromatics and the flavours out of the wine because it's actually a volatile, volatile material. Yeah. I think it's fair to say so. I mean, I've uh, we sort of basically both work, work for the same business, full disclosure for yep. the listeners, but I think with Riddick, the wines have really improved over the last four or five years from what I've seen. Is that attributed to better sort of vineyard management or you guys are managing the growers better or what do you think it is? Yeah, so back in 2019, I took over that role when, when my colleague retired and um, I guess at the same time, the business and the label came up with an idea that they want to have higher price points of Redock to really showcase the region and, and what the brand's capable of. So yep. they, they set us a target that they'd, they'd introduced the Elgin range at $25. That was 2019 was our first vintage. And from that point on, Tim and I made a conscious effort that would review everything we did. So every year we analysed how good the grapes and the wine are made from each vineyard. Yep. And we sort of ticks and crosses, question marks, and... Um, 
there's about the same amount of ticks as crosses. So we sort of reviewed that and we just really chased some really good vineyards in, in, in I guess, historically good spots to grow red grapes in the Coonawarra and that is making a massive difference. So we've sort of headed to the northern end yep. primarily on average, I guess, and to the east. So we've got some beautiful Terrarossa soils along the Red Oak Highway. Then we sort of go out Glenroy area where it's a bit warmer and then out towards, um, I guess you'd call it, close to the border but not near the border. So, you know, a good mixture of soils, um, red loamies, and we find that that actually lets the fruit um, ripen really well. Um, and it's also it's also about the finesse we can give. We can control the tannins in fermentation. And it really gives us the ability to really hone in what we want as style. Yep. Um, we don't want our tongue ripped out when we have a glass of red because <laughs> we see that as hard work. Yes. And, and as I say to my young winemakers, when you make wine, you want to be able to drink a couple of glasses without knowing you've done it. And yeah. if you drink a bottle with a mate in 15 minutes, or as a winemaker, I reckon you've, you've, you've hit the mark. Yeah, I I mean, I, I call it sort of the porch test, you know, like mm. it's fine to be able to look at it in a lab or look at it in the, you know, in the winery and see X, Y, Z character. But if you can't take it home, as you say, and just enjoy it for what it is, then, you know, okay, we know some wine's made to cellar and that's cool, that's fine. So there yeah. are different sorts of things there. Uh, now... Uh, Tim, your colleague, he he is an Aussie, but he was. Did he come from Cloudy Bay, or did he come from somewhere in New Zealand? Was that his last gig? Yeah, so he um he did a, a stint in the Clare Valley in High Eden. Yeah. Um, with uh, the same group, and then he sh- went over to New Zealand, and he was involved in Cloudy Bay Pinot and Sablonc manufacturing winemaking for thirteen years. Wow. And um, Pinot is his thing. He's a bit of a weirdo when I when I talk to him. He says, Can't have some Pinot barrels, Tim. Really, do I have to? <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Barossa boy, so I'm used to sort of bigger and stronger wines, but the style of wine that you use to make Pinot is what you need to make good good Coonawarra reds, I think. Just not over-extract it and be gentle. And I guess for a winemaker, and particularly me and Tim, it's all about showcasing what that grower has with their unique sites that we, we want to get grapes from. Yeah. And, look, some of the listeners might find this comment a bit strange, but... Having worked, you know, for a big business over, not, not Dan's, but having worked for Perna Ricard and meeting a lot of growers over the years in Coonawarra and actually in McLaren Vale and Barossa and Clare. But, um, yeah, McLaren Vale, Pinot Noir. There's quite a bit of Pinot Noir still left in McLaren Vale, but there yeah, wouldn't, there wouldn't be any in the Coonawarra, would there? Oh, there's little, little outcrops of it. Yeah. Um, it's probably a big thing in the 80s, Pinot. That was all, you know, the new sexy thing. It's a bit like um, Pinot is to the Coonawarra as Grenache is to the Brosse Valley, I guess. It's just that lighter style, yeah. fragrant, sexy sort of style that you can make, yeah. Well, that's uh, Kim's just messaged in and said, Do you, what other regions around Coonawarra could be potential sites for other grapes like Pinot Noir? Oh, look, I think you go closer to the coast, um, around the Mount Gambier area. Yeah. Um, Robe has got some Pinot. Mount Benson's got some Pinot. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably where that cooler coastal sort of environment is, so you get that super slow ripening, but, you know, you don't get super cold either because of the ocean's influence. But, yeah. you know, down south, the oceans are pretty cold, even in summer. I was tasting some wines next to Angus Houston last week, and Katie Spain was there as well, and they were talking Mount Gambier up massively because they're both yep. uh, South Aussies. Oh, Alba, um, Angus is in Sydney, but Katie's from over there. Um, so, yeah, I've never been to Mount Gambier. Yeah, it's pretty cold. You want to pack a jumper when you go there in the summer. <laughs> it, it's actually quite interesting. There's a lot of really flinty stonework in the dirt that sort yeah. of, they say it's very close to Marlborough, which is pretty weird, but it's very, very 
similar in, in the wines you make and Riesling in particular and Pinot for sparkling. It's a very beautiful, cool site. Um, and, um, Angus was saying that there was a bit of um, those silex soils, almost like from Pufume from the Loire Valley. He was like, he was rating that. That was part of the reason he rated it pretty highly. Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me because Pinot does very well um, down there. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Now, I, I do have to apologise to you a little bit because I thought you were a, a Nuri Tigers man. You're saying you're an Anguston an Hell no. No, no. I was. I um I moved to the Brosser Valley from the place just north of the Brosser Valley as a six year old and we moved to Angston and I was literally a five minute walk from Angston Oval, so the Angston Panthers are my home footy club. There you go. And our, our six kids have all come through that club as well as my three brothers and their family. So wow. it's there's a rule in my house, if you want to play for another footy club you need to leave home and that's <laughs> the end of the story. Uh, are you do you follow Adelaide in the in the AFL as well? Yeah, look, LA Crows was a soft spot, first first team to hit the AFL, but yeah. prior to that it was Port Adelaide. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, Port's got a very long history as a club, does it not? So Yeah, they're pretty proud of their history, yeah. Yeah, no, fabulous stuff. Um, so, sorry, getting on to footy again. Geordie's a bit of a Carlton man, so sorry about that. But um... Hard year for him. <laughs> well, we touched up Port, so. <laughs> it's been hard. Yeah, well. Could have a few wins, <laughs> <laughs> mate. This the swans are um, unbelievable. It's sort of um, anyway. I don't want to talk about football on the wine show. Um, talk <laughs> us talk us through Coonawarra and John Riddick a little bit as well, because you know that's that the Riddick brand's named after him, and he really was the reason why we've got vineyards there. Yeah, yeah. So so back in eighteen fifty fifty one, he was on a boat called Lady Elgin and, and came to I guess Port Melbourne. I suppose I'm not sure whether it's Melbourne or Adelaide to be honest. Yeah. But, um, he came over thinking he'd make a fortune out of Scotland, he was. Um, make a lot of money in the gold fields, but not digging holes, but selling mining equipment and oh, right. you know, everything that a, a new miner in Australia would need. And I guess that's where the multicultural part of Australia began in the gold fields, because people came from everywhere once we came out about gold. And he made a lot of money out of supplying all those bits and pieces, and he thought, well, I always wanted to have land, cause back home he, he couldn't make it happen. And he bought, I think it was 30,000 what they call hectares now which is about 75,000 acres and went about seed farming and during his life he um he got involved in in parliament and local government um he got a um, botanist um involved out of Adelaide to come up and assess assess the region to see what what else they could do with the Coonawarra and they started sinking bores and so they had a reasonable amount of water over the over the journey and it became um mandated because he, he set up the Patola Fruit Company, which yeah. all little families had their little plots, a bit like the Brosser did um, at Settlement. And the rules were you had to have two-thirds Shiraz, one-third Cabernet, because in his life, he actually exported wool back to London. And he was renowned for washing his sheep before he shore them. And right. he had the best quality wool in London. He thought, well, this is cool. We have obviously can grow grapes. But at the same time, flocks were devastated Europe, so mm. their wine production plummeted. And he, mm. you know, he's always a man for an opportunity. Yeah. And he said, "Righty, we're going to send all this wine back home, charge a fortune, and really open up his country." And it's about that time that he he had a railway line put in. Yeah. So obviously, very fertile area in the Coonawarra, southeast of South Australia, and he had to get his produce to a market. And awesome cart wasn't going to make it very easy. So he said, "Well, he got behind the government, revved them up, and." Somehow they got some money and put in this railway line, and it's it's went to strength to strength from there. 
and, and of course, presented us with the opportunity to have a great photo at the Coonawarra train station. <laughs> yeah, look, you're, you're no one in the wine industry in the Coonawarra if you haven't posted in front of the Coonawarra road sign and, and little signal room there. Um, yeah. yeah, and they've actually, they've actually made it quite a tourist attraction now. They've done it up in nice yeah, little cool. cars. But, yeah, yeah cool. Tim and I had our photos there a couple of years ago. It was about 6 in the morning. They wanted to get their morning light. And I've never shivered for a photo as much in my life other than my wedding day, I reckon. <laughs> Uh, the ubiquitous Coonawarra train station photo. It's gross. Um, just want to go back to, to your career a little bit, then, Matt, because I reckon when we met, you were making the Clare Valley stuff, but how did, how did you actually get into into wine? What was the thing that got you into yeah, it? Yeah, I, I moved to the Bross at the age of six. and I, As we got older and left school, my mate started working um, in the local wineries, and I could actually see your Lumber's Winery in here at my backyard in Angston. Wow. And at footy training, all these guys are coming in covered in red, winemaking mark and at that time I'd sort of finished high school got into Charles uh, not Charles Sturt Rose of the Ag College yeah. just just sort of out of Adelaide and I in my wisdom deferred for one year which became 10 and then 10 years after I first deferred I actually started winemaking at Dorian Estate which was a cellar master winery back then yeah. um, owned by the Mighty Fosters Group mm. and I sort of thought well this looks pretty cool all these guys are making Shiraz but it all tastes different and so a year after that, I put myself to year, uh, year 12 chemistry at a place called Elizabeth, north of Adelaide. Yeah. And then a year after that, Charles Sturt Uni um, in Wagga, studying winemaking by distance, which means every every six months you've got eight, eight days in, in Wagga, which is interesting. <laughs> um, seven years later, and had four kids along the way, I um, graduated. And all that time I was working at Dorian Estate, leading yeah. like, learning the, the ropes, I suppose you call it, from, you know, wine wine assistant, technical assistant, assistant winemaker, winemaker. And then during that time, I used to make a lot of commercial wine for Mildura. Um, then also had a taste of Clare Valley, which is where my wife came from. Yeah. And, yeah, back in 2019, started looking after Coonawarra. And luckily for me, that's when Riddock was sort of themed as a, a growth potential for the business, and it's gone from strength to strength. Oh, look, some of the wines coming out of Dorian... So I mean the ethereal Grenache, you know, won a yeah. one's it's won trophies, almost won the Jimmy Watson, then it went overseas and did it again. And so you know when you're starting to do things like that, like it's not a fluke. And I mean, if full disclosure for for the punters that come in and talk to me at Dan Murphy's, like oh, you know, always telling him about where the wines come from and everything. But what with some of these these brands and stuff, it's not a made up thing like it's there are proper winemakers doing proper things at yeah. proper wineries like it's so the provenance is there and you can see in the quality of the wines yeah look every every variety from every region in australia and new zealand now is managed by by that group in some form or another yeah um just because you make wines for your own supermarkets bws dan murphy's doesn't mean you don't care about what you do and you have there is expectations within our group that we are equal to if not better than everybody else and not everybody else but you know other other products in the market yeah. and we we lot we take a lot of pride we've got a, a good viticultural team that makes sure we've got the right grapes for what we want to sell we've got a great winemaking team that back each other up and we've got a great team in the winery that could just continue our instructions you know we're the conductor of the choir but if the choir doesn't all play on the same page that's when things don't work out the way we want but we're very lucky that we take pride in what we do and we've got good systems within our group that everything just is made to perfection. Yeah, and, you know, obviously yourself and, and Nick and, I mean, there's some really good winemakers there making some some great wine. So congratulations, Matt, uh, again on the accolades and um, keep, the good, keep the good juice coming, my friend. 
No, thank you very much. Uh, fabulous. Thanks for joining us on The Wine Show. No worries. You're welcome.